Well, Madame X Weekend just happened, and there was a Jimmy Fallon appearance, the audio stream, the Paramount Plus stream, and the surprise Harlem performance. But we're going to talk about the Paramount Plus performance with someone that saw it live with me at BAM in Brooklyn, and we watched it together with some friends here in our living room, my boo thing, my love, my religion, my partner, Oz. Welcome, baby. Yay. <laughs> this is your first appearance. Good to me, yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you right out of the gate, what were some of the highlight performances for you from the show? I really enjoyed the throwback Madonna performances that she did. Of course. Like, which I, ones? I really liked Human Nature with the like the sexy trumpet. And it was just very fun, like, to see her in that little cutout, and then she's, like, playing the drums with the guy, yeah. and the girls are kind of, like, standing to the side in the cut, and they're just, like, backup singing, and it was just really, like, cute. I loved just, like, seeing her be fun and kind of playful and real for a moment, vulnerable, you could say, maybe. Madame X is a Congo player. Right, exactly. She's everything. What, if any, new songs did you happen to like? I really liked Killers Who Are Partying because it was just fun. Uh, again, the stage, how it was set up and the lighting and all of the performance performers. And I guess the backdrop was kind of like a Fado club. She's going for that vibe right now. So it was, um, the lighting was cool. Her outfit was great. She was just, you know, goddess Madonna up there. How did it differ from when you saw it live, watching the Paramount Plus stream, and then watching, and then seeing it live? Or what, if anything, stands out to you? Well, for one, seeing it, seeing it live was amazing, just being so close and, like, seeing her perform. Uh, with the editing on the, like, concert version, I'm dizzy, of course, because <laughs> it's, as you say, very classic Madonna, like, recording, editing. Yeah. There was, like, one part that I don't remember happening. What part? The part where she is getting ready just before Vogue, or I can't remember what's on. Behind that screen? Yeah, she's got like two drag queens or two dancers with her, and she's like getting ready, and she's making like funny humor humor with the audience, like talking about her butt or whatever. <laughs> and you don't remember that? And seeing that live? I don't remember seeing that live. I mean, I I know I didn't have that many drinks. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, actually, I think you did. <laughs> well, because she didn't come on to like three forever, hours past yeah. showtime. But but I don't remember that part happening where she was just sitting and like I remember, of course, her taking a Polaroid and like drinking someone's beer. Yeah, because I remember. Well, I remember it, but it's also all she, all she did was change her shoes. I think. And maybe put on a coat. Or that something. was the last part. That was the yeah. last part because she made some kind of joke about about it. Her legs being up. Well, we had some of our friends here, and I tried to record something with them afterwards, but it didn't save on my laptop. And I know none of them believe me when I told them that. But I wanted to bring up some of the areas of contention that some of them had around kind of activist Madame X performances, like God Control, American Life, and I Rise. Um, where there's some background footage, where some scenes of protest, warfare are shown. Um, and I think the main thing was her showing some of the Black Lives Matter protest and Breonna Taylor, where one of the things that one of our friends said was, like, when does activism and awareness in art turn into propaganda? 
And I think it's a fair statement, but I guess for me as a, a privileged white middle-aged man, I don't really have an answer because I don't think it's really up to me or anyone to really know that, right? Madonna has done this throughout her career, causing controversy, bringing up things that people don't really want to address directly. But I think with the political climate and how things have like progressed and everything like that, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer. I just, I really didn't think about it too much just because I know this is what Madonna does. Um, but some people that haven't really seen her live, I can see how it, they were kind of like turned their head and like, huh? Because they just wanted to hear the hits. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on that? A lot of things happened in the editing room, you can tell. A lot of decisions were made in the editing room when they were piecing together this uh, project. And we saw it pre-pandemic, pre-Black Lives Matter. Right. So if you don't follow Madonna on social media or you don't kind of see the activism she does it can come across kind of like, why is she including that in her show? But if you um, do know kind of what she's about or, or what she does like publicly, then then it fits reminding everyone that Black Lives Matter. I think that's really the big divide here is some of our friends kind of don't follow her. Well, I, the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, some might argue is like, well, if this is what she does to sell records or sell concert tickets, but she really doesn't because, you know, people, either her fans are buying her music or going to see her shows. I don't think it's drawing more people in or pushing more people away because they really don't know what to expect. I think longtime Madonna fans already knows what she stands for, so they know what they're getting into. They also know that they're getting into waiting three to four hours before she actually performs <laughs> when we get to the venue. Um... But I think like people that aren't, like you were saying, that aren't familiar with what she's doing in her philanthropy, then no one really understands why she's doing these things. I haven't really read into this yet, but I know there's some controversy going on with Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah, and bad his, timing. And his latest Netflix show. So I know that there's some controversy on that. People are going to have something to say about that. People are going to have something to say about whether or not her using that imagery is right or wrong in her concert. And I think at this point in the game, I don't think that she's doing it to sell anything or to stir anything up. I think she probably firmly believes Black Lives Do Matter, and she wanted to include that as part of her show, and the songs kind of fit, and maybe having, not really featuring, but just having... Dave Chappelle in the audience at one of her concerts and then recording that wasn't uh, wasn't something they thought would be a negative. I wonder if they might change that out or not. I don't know. Um, she has worked with some problematic people, at least for me. Uh, like Justin Timberlake after the whole Janet thing. She yeah. worked with him. Uh, she worked with Mike Tyson, who's very controversial and problematic yeah um so i mean i don't know if she would change it she might keep it out of spite just to i don't i don't know who knows who's who knows madame x knows yeah well thank you for providing some commentary we're gonna get on with today's episode which is for erotica 
Also, I had a chance to call into the MLVC podcast live and give my thoughts on the Madame X tour as well. So be sure to check that out as well. All right. Well, thank you, Oz. Love you. Love you. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Madonna Get Together podcast. I'm your host, Wayne, and we do have a special guest all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada, close enough to the fascist state of Toronto, uh, at least closer than I am, I think. Uh, he's not a witch. He's a love technician. Peter, welcome. Yay. Thanks for having <laughs> me. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We had a few technical difficulties in the beginning, but we worked through them. We're good and we're good to go. And we're going to be talking about erotica. Perfect. This is my favorite album. So I'm very excited. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell the listeners about yourself, your life and, and how Madonna became a part of it. Well, I mean, I'm as old as Madonna's career. She's been in my life my entire life, right? I mean, I have vivid memories of things that have happened in her career, but I, she didn't really come to me in an important manner until I was maybe 14 or 15. So around the time that she was promoting Ray of Light, there was a lot of sort of delving into her back catalog. So much music right. had her up here. So she was doing interviews and press. So that was when I started like, well, wow, this is an artist that I can sort of I've known all my life but I didn't really know um like too much about her so like yeah um I started just exploring the back albums and at that time too at that age I was sort of exploring my sexuality sort of figuring out who I was and and the especially this album there's a lot of the themes in this album that sort of helped me sort of settle like yes I'm gay I'm the things that the people have said about my, my me my entire life are <laughs> true and like so now with the help of discovering this album it's like okay I'm going to be unapologetically who I am right yes I'm gay I'm going to own this mantle I'm going to be as flamboyant as you said that I was you're I'm going to be as um outrageous as I want to be because I'm not going to let anybody hold me back so Madonna has that. I mean, she has a song for every mood, right? I mean, every yeah. you're happy, you're sad, you're depressed, you're you're sort of pensive, you're thinking. It's there's a song for it. So, like a lot, of, like "Live to Tell" from the Trouble album, really yeah. helped sort of me help sort of discover who I was deeper and deeper from this album. So, it's just yeah, she's been in my life in my entire life, and it's just she's just so unapologetic un unapologetically herself like especially back then in the 90s she was just take no prisoners itch. exactly that song is <laughs> should be her theme song right <laughs> well it's so, yeah. very interesting you say that because it's it's always um i didn't i became a fan in 1989 so going to her back catalog wasn't as expansive as I would say for like you, if it's Ray of Light and you're going back, that's a little bit longer. And it's always interesting to me when I hear that fans do that, because it's it's really hard to um, like be in that moment as things are happening, but mm -hmm. it's always, uh, you, you kind of have the best of both worlds, right? So you have this, uh, I'll call it an obsession or this, this fandom, um, it was an stand obsession. this woman. <laughs> yes. And then 
you get to go back and experience things for the first time, uh, for the very first time, if you will. And, you know, it's, you get to discover it. Plus you get to look at newer interview clips of her talking about these older projects and her reflecting back on them. Whereas um, maybe like a, a person that's been a fan longer experiences what she's thinking about the project at that moment and then compare it to what she says as as interviews come down the road so particularly with this album it's it's very interesting because um you know I, I gave you a couple of interviews to watch and when i was watching them i kind of think of what she's saying and a lot of the stuff that she's saying about this album is is a lot of the same attitude that she has like now with aging totally. Oh my God. Yeah. um, Well, the thing is, is like they were calling her old then and she was just, I couldn't believe 33, 32, 33. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not over the hill. Like, Oh, what are you going to do now? Yeah. (laughs) Like you have to put yourself away at 40. Like, what do you, what is that? That's so sexist. And I mean, it's still prevalent to this day, but it's now she's getting, you're in your sixties. Why haven't you put it away yet? But I mean, at 32, 33, you're like, you're young. Like I'm 38. Like so when I was young. 34. <laughs> well, I'm 43 and I, I still feel like young, <laughs> you know, and well, one Jeez, of the I wouldn't sh- have thought you were 43. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. But um, yeah, I'm just a little, I'm a little older <laughs> than I care to admit, but in what she says in one of these interviews and someone had asked her, it's like, well, do you see yourself doing something like this? And 20 or 30 years and she's like well what if i am like who who cares what if i want to do this it's it's how i choose to express myself and i i love that line where she goes what are you supposed to just die when you're 40 just put yourself out pressure (laughs) and and i forget what she says after that like bake cookies or or join a nitty club uh, something to that effect but i just love that line and that comment because of course when i turned 40 i was like well, I'm not going to stop living life. It, it's funnily enough, like I was going through a, a, a transition period in my life where I got out of a long-term relationship and I went into a new one where I was kind of restarting my life. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't want anyone to tell me to, you know, quote unquote, act my age or um, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be dating someone 11 years younger or uh, anything like that. So I, I actually connect with a lot of what she says in interviews at this period in time as a, yeah. as an adult today. Well, yeah, it, it just amazed me, especially because most of those interviews were men, right? It was just so that Bryant Gumble interview from the oh Today Show was so condescending. I mean, I'd seen right. it before, but sort of sort of paying attention to it a little bit more now. He's just sort of sitting there and. The way that he, he sort of questions her, it's just, I thought it was, yeah, it was very sort of sexist and condescending. It's like, well, you're a woman, you're in your mid thirties. It's like, you should be getting ready to settle down now because pretty soon your worth is going to be sort of like the clock is ticking, girl. It's time for you to sort of settle down and put it away and be more respectable, right? So I thought what that, that was dick. very, yeah. I, I mean, when I rewatched that interview, I, I've always, I don't know, just, in my history of, of watching the Today show and everything, I always thought Brian Gumble was a very humble man and seemed to be respectful towards artists. But yeah, he, when I was watching it, I'm like, why is he talking to her like that? And it affected the way she answered those questions. She, 
she in a way just like turned into very shy compared to the interviews that she did with um, Jonathan Ross, which she seemed a little bit more relaxed. And she was definitely um, more playful in that one. Yeah. Those interviews seemed a little bit more relaxed and she took the interview a little bit more seriously, even though she was more relaxed. Whereas where it was with Brian Gumble, she, I always felt like she had to keep defending herself for some reason. And like Brian Gumble, like who the fuck are you to, to like ask a grown woman why she's doing the things she wants. And the whole thing where he was asking her about like body of evidence and do you relate to this character? Are you this kind of person in private? And she's like, well, no, it was for a movie. It was a role. And it just goes. They couldn't separate. They couldn't separate her from her work. I mean, it's always been the case for her, but then especially now it's like, it's sort of, she was sort of proving everybody right that she's just this raging nymphomaniac that all people think about it or think about her is that she just has sex with everybody or anything yeah. that moves. So it's like she couldn't possibly have this depth that she could sort of mine <laughs> into to be somebody else. This is obviously a, ref- a reflection of who she is. So, and I think it goes back to um, kind of what I said when I did the episode about um, Truth or Dare and, you know, she was possibly up for the role and the bodyguard or something. I don't think Madonna can play someone bigger than herself. And I think that's maybe what the problem was with body of evidence, or if she was in a role like the bodyguard, it's like, she can't, people aren't going to be able to separate her persona, the way that she comes across through her music and her art with someone who, takes a, uh, an acting role seriously and just wants to play it because because of that connection they're always going to keep doing that to her and they did yeah, exactly yeah she... speaking of movies um what i want to do is i know we, we just talked a whole bunch of, about a lot of stuff um but we're going to go deeper and deeper into that and <laughs> we're going to start with this used to be my playground um because that okay. came, that song came out prior to erotica and it was i think it was like the last song that they actually her and shep pettibone actually worked on um yeah the album. but it was all it also was released uh before the album was just initial thoughts on this song because when i heard it i felt like this is going to be a foray into what the new album is going to sound like even though i didn't know the name of the album at the time so what are your thoughts on the song so for me, I came to this used to be my playground when something to remember came out because in '92, Madonna was still in the background for me. I was still listening to my New Kids on the Block tapes and Mariah Carey right. tapes. So '92, I would I would hear the song on the radio, but I wasn't. I was very sheltered. I wasn't allowed to sort of. I didn't go to the movies very often unless it was the family. So we did family movies. So I didn't see A League of Their Own when it first was released in theaters. But I re- vaguely remember it as being in the background. But on something to remember, it it was a standout for me. So, I mean, it's. I think that it's a wonderful song. I think it's very, it just sort of evokes such feelings of the past and nostalgia. I think it's the way that she phrases the verses is just sort of the, why do they always say this? And why do they yeah. always do that? Like, it's like, it's like, well, yeah, why do they always say this? And why, why do we sort of look to the past like that as sort of right that sort of better time, I thought. So with the, the orchestral break in the, in the sort of the middle before the final verse, I thought, I think that that's 
a, a very beautiful piece of music. I just, I love that. I listen to, I listen to the long version. I have that on all my playlists just because it's the, the, the five minute version is just not enough for me. I just love <laughs> that song. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's the, um, single version, the long version, and there's actually, I believe the lyrics are slightly different in the movie version. So in the credits, yeah, I believe that um, because the song wasn't released on the soundtrack because Madonna was a Warner Brothers artist and the soundtrack was on Sony, I believe. Um, so it was, or maybe it's Touchstone Picture. I, I don't remember exactly, but um, so they released it on Barcelona Gold, which was which a compilation for the Olympics. I have that um, compilation, and yes. it's actually an edited version. Of yes, that's what I was going to say. Version. That's, that's uh, <laughs> another version. And then there's the instrumental version, um, which there's like this uh, piano player, which which comes out a little bit more in the in the instrumental version. Like it's a, the piano seems to be turned up louder. Yeah, that's a pretty version too. I play that yeah. a lot. Um, Just because they they actually use real. Um, I think they used a real orchestra when they were recording yes. it. So you yes, can really hear the difference. If you watch behind the music um, from 1998, I believe, or 99, I, I think it was 98 that that uh, behind the music came out on VH1. Rosie O'Donnell was talking how she was in the recording studio when they were recording the orchestra. And Madonna said, something is slightly off. Someone's out of tune somewhere. And it was just like this one violinist that had to like, tune her violin who wasn't tuned and rosie o'donnell was astonished by that because she actually saw madonna as this music artist versus her good friend that she was just playing in a movie with yeah i mean so so often no madonna is discounted as sort of just like she comes in she does her thing in the booth and then she leaves they don't a lot of people don't realize that she has her hand and and yeah. all of the pies. So everything I've read about her, especially recording this record, was that she 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 knew what she wanted the sound to be, and she could sort of, even though she doesn't play instruments or didn't at that time, she sort of like she could sort of this is what I want it to sound like, and maybe she would hum a bar or two, or yeah, sort of trying to explain to the producers what she wanted. And I think that hearing that story with Rosie O'Donnell too, it's just like yeah, she knows like this is yeah. She's the shit. She's the real <laughs> She's the real deal. And her and Rosie uh, went on the Arsenio Hall show to promote the movie. Um, and then they talked about her upcoming album and her book, Sex, and um, what, that, what that was like. So it was weird to see this dynamic between her and Rosie because it was almost, it was almost as entertaining as her and Sandra Bernhardt on David Letterman, um, where I just thought it was funny where they ended up bringing out her dad and everything. <laughs> so it was just really weird because they hadn't really, people knew that she made this book called Sex, but no one saw what any of the pictures were. We didn't know what the album was going to sound like. And all we saw is Madonna come on like Arsenio and mention it for like a quick second. And um, I feel like it's, it's really weird because I feel like people were still a little bit on Madonna's side, but kind of towing the line just because 
um, or on the fence because of the Justify My Love controversy and everything like that. So they weren't really sure what to expect from her. But, you know, she had to give these press interviews for A League of Their Own, which is a really good movie. And I think if the Erotica album had come out before and the sex book came out before that movie, I don't think it would have done as well. I don't think that they would have given it a chance. <laughs> Not at all. Um, the per- it was released the perfect time, just before yes. the storm, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Erotica did come out, it was in October, October 20th of 1992. And the book came out the very next day. And it was this whirlwind, and I call it the trifecta because it was the the album, the book, and then I believe the the film came out a few months later. I don't, actually don't remember the release date of the movie. Maybe it was like... I think uh, Body of Evans came yes. out early in 93. Yes. So, but they always call that the sort of the perfect storm of when she yep. sort of torpedoed her career. <laughs> yeah, where everyone just accepted the fact that she was overexposed. And of course, me as a fan is like, no, she's great. This album <laughs> she can never is have amazing. too much exposure. Yeah. Well, this and this album is amazing. Like, I don't. It's one of those ones that does not get enough credit for being one of her greatest works of art. Um, and I think it was because it was overshadowed by the sexual overtones, which were intentional. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't think. I think the problem was. It wasn't the fact that like, oh, you just have to get to like look past the imagery. No, because it goes with the sound. It goes with the lyrics. Uh, I just, I find the album amazing, but also at the same time, it's, it's weird. It was very weird for me because when Madonna started promoting this, she quote unquote reinvented herself. So all of a sudden we have this woman coming out with no eyebrows with like pencil, pencil thin eyebrows. Her mole was removed, which was one of her trademarks. She had a gold tooth. Uh, she was highly stylized. Her presentation of her, her music, I feel like, was um, more themed. So she was doing this kind of like uh, oversized suit with the beret and the 70s look. Um, she was also... Uh, you didn't see this until the girly show, but she was like more toned and more fit than she ever has. Been. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to say this just because I, I've paid attention over the years where her face slightly changed where I think when, when, when she got lip injections, you know, when she got those in like 1990, more yeah. Um, I feel like she started to play around with filler at that time. Cause I remember she had kind of the, um, the parentheses around her mouth were becoming a little bit more pronounced in interviews towards, um, like truth or dare interviews and, um, blunt ambition interviews. And then she comes out in for erotica and her face just looks very, very full and doesn't move a lot. So I think this might've <laughs> been her beginning stages of I mean, she looked great, don't get me wrong. And I don't think there's a problem with her doing that. It's just like, you notice this change. Like her, it's almost like she wiped the palette clean and started all over. Her lips were a lot more fuller, even if they were just drawn differently. 
with lip liner. She just looked totally different. And I think that is a reflection of showing how she embraces change and embraces this 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 change in her music musical style also because this was totally this music was totally different than anything she was she had done in the past definitely it wasn't as accessible as some of the sort of more poppy stuff i think right but i mean that's all in hindsight you think oh well, this is i mean i'm just sort of looking at some of the pictures now i have all of my cds here so yes like i can see her jaw definitely is a lot more angular than i think it was before I mean, maybe in 93, she lost a little bit more weight. She was a lot skinnier in the girly show than she had been. So, but yeah, her her image, especially with the the sort of the power suits when she was doing the press interviews, I think that she was trying to sort of um, maybe sort of be a businessman, sort of like project a businessman kind of attitude because she had just done the the deal with uh, Warners to create Maverick too at that time, hadn't yes. she? So. So she signed, re-signed her contracts, and she created the the Maverick deal, which Erotica was the first album to come out under the Maverick pressing. Yep. So I think to maybe prove to the suits at Warner's that she'd, um, or that they'd done a good thing by creating this for her with her, that maybe she wanted to project them more because she had she was chomping on cigars in those interviews. Yep. She's very, very sort of like the female version of masculine, kind of like tough and sort of projecting hard image in a lot of those interviews and some of them too like the the interviews with the the slicked hair with the barrettes and um in europe with like the little pigtails when she was doing mm-hmm. um that's a little bit sort of more of the feminine aspect but the earlier interviews especially like there's an italian interview where she's wearing like a, a suit and she's got the cigar i think and She's, yeah. I think she's definitely trying to project that I'm a businessman. I'm serious, and these are this is what I have to offer to the world, and this is sort of my my agenda, if you will, or this is what I I want to focus on as my first sort of forays into this sort of venture. Yeah, and that the publishing, and that really makes sense because in in one of the interviews, I think it was with Jonathan Ross, um, she said. I don't have a dick between my legs, but I have one in my brain. And pairing that with like the suit she's wearing with the cigar, she's really showing that she's a powerhouse. She pulled out a business card. She's like, this is my first business card I've ever had. That and, was cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And it she signed this multi-million dollar multi-album deal with Maverick. Um, so her record company was part of this deal with Warner Brothers, and it was for albums, it was for books, it was for uh, signing new people with a record company and a production company. And I was reading through some old icons, and apparently there was supposed to be a, a mini series based on her life produced by ABC that was going to be a Maverick production but I guess it never came to be. Um, So I guess there were talks about it. So it's uh, it's ironic that, you know, now she's making a biography about her life. She's finally ready to sit down and sort of set the record straight, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Although I wish it wasn't a movie. I I truly do think it it belongs in a series. I mean, I don't... That'd probably be better because you can't sort of condense 40 years plus years into like a two-hour movie you have to do at least a mini series to get yeah. some of the details and stuff like that 
two hours and especially it it depends i mean if she was just going to tell from even the the first album through true blue that should be two hours alone you know what i mean like i just i hope i hope it turns out to be the way that she wants it to be i just i hope it's not forced into this two hour condensing of her 16 which cat is that is that selena or guy that is guy he does not uh, like me when i'm talking and not paying attention <laughs> to him i'm trying to, to shut him up because he, he, he gets picked up on all the audio stuff. i think that's the one that looks like you all animals look like their pets and i think i think guy looks like you my great guy i guess so he's been with me his entire life so was he named after guy richie yes partially <laughs> <laughs> Because when we first got him, he didn't have his, his name was Stu from the the re, the rescue, and I uh, didn't like that. And then he would I'd be like, "So hi there, little guy. What's going on, little guy?" And it stuck. Brian calls him Puppy because he follows me around like a dog. But I don't think that Puppy is a good name for a cat, <laughs> <laughs> or is it the perfect name for a cat? Maybe, yeah. He talks <laughs> like a dog. He follows me around. So maybe. <laughs> well. Speaking of pussy, let's get into erotica. Let's go track by track and just give our initial takes on it. So erotica was the first single off the album. It was yet another video that basically got banned from MTV. They showed it like once or twice, and then they never showed it again. They had a planetary premiere as opposed to a world premiere at like midnight or something like that. It was supposed to be released as a video single, and then that got canceled. Uh, but the song, tell me your thoughts on the song. Oh, I love the song. This from the opening sort of scratches of the vinyl to the, sort of the thumping bass as it kicks in. I just, it just gives me chills. It's one of my favorite Madonna songs. I just I, the, the spoken verses sort of where she's narrating as Dita. And then I just love the, the chorus, just the erotic, erotic when she sings that. Oh, just, I want to listen to that part <laughs> just over and over and over again for hours. I used to, I used to like rewind the CD a little bit and listen to that erotic, erotic, put your hands all over my body and just obsess over this song. Cause it's just the character. I love the character. She's, she knows like I am in charge and this is what we are going to do. And I'm going to make you do this and, and you don't get a say, or I'm going to whip you. <laughs> Her name is Dita and she'll be your mistress tonight. Exactly. Um, I love the song and I always, I feel like it's like a sister song to justify my love. Um, now my opinion on justify my love is very different from many Madonna fans, I'm not a huge fan of Justify My Love, not because I hate it. I just feel like at the time, I don't know if I was ready for spoken word Madonna. And I also am, I am team Ingrid Chavez on this, Mm -hmm. where when I listened, when I first heard the song, I'm like, this is not, this doesn't feel like Madonna to me. It's not Madonna. And if you actually go and listen to the, um, MLVC podcast where Ingrid Chavez was on there. I totally 100% believe her. I think Madonna has maybe 0.01% to do with Justify My Love. And I don't think Madonna wrote anything on Justify My Love, to be yeah. quite honest with you. <laughs> and I Ingrid think, actually released a version. Sorry to yeah. be off topic here, but I it 
I'm not sure how it came out in 2020. It's uh, under the electronica section in iTunes, and yeah. it's she it's really good. Recorded she, her own version. It's really really good. I like her version. I mean, I love Madonna's version, but I mean, I'm glad that Ingrid got to finally sort of yeah say because it was her. As far as I know, it was a love letter that she wrote to yep. Lenny Kravitz, and then somehow Madonna got her hands on it. But yeah, it was I mean, something. Madonna, well, I think it was like she had a love letter as a breakup or something to sell to an ex-lover and she was in the studio with she was friends with Lenny Kravitz and you know Ingrid Chavez was a Prince protege where um, she was working with Prince to record her own album as well as be in the movie Graffiti Bridge and and uh, I believe she did the intros on Prince's tour for his Love Sexy tour in 88 Um, okay so I and then what happened is Lenny Kravitz took the tape and she's like, oh, well, can I get a recording of it? He's like, yeah, I'll give you a recording of it. And um, he took it. And then the next thing she knew, Madonna, it was being released by Madonna. And she's like, what happened to my song? And it basically she had to sign away her rights or she, it, there was like this, this whole storm. And I, I'm like 100% believe her. I, I don't feel like Madonna had very much to do, but what I will say is this: I, I feel like if if Lenny Kravitz did had done the right thing, Ingrid would have gotten credit from the beginning. Madonna still could have recorded it because I don't think it would have been a hit if anybody else recorded it except Madonna. Yeah, I, I think only Madonna could have done that song. Really. <laughs> uh, so I will say that in 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 positive note for madonna i don't think anyone else could have recorded that song i do think madonna did a great job with it i love the video i just don't i don't necessarily like to hear the song but back to erotica i feel like this is where madonna's like okay well it's my turn to write my own justify my love and that's where she wrote erotica and she actually wrote it a couple times because um we know that there's different variations of it there's the sex book version um, which has different lyrics, and there is the You Thrill Me version, um, which we got to hear her perform live in Confessions, and it's actually my favorite performance of Erotica between Girly Show, Confessions, and the NDNA Erotic Candy Shop. Yeah, it's a good performance. I like that. I like the You Thrill Me version. I have a demo of it where she it has the the beats of the William or sort of the sex book version mm-hmm. with the lyrics to You Thrill Me, You Surround Me, You Feel Me, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I like that version. I have other versions where it has the chorus of erotica and then some of the You Thrill Me versions. But I, it's interesting to hear. It was interesting to hear because I'd never heard any of the the demos beforehand for years i'd seen in fan forums the the rain tapes were circulating and yep there were earlier versions of of the songs i'd I'd never sort of sought those out so until we got the the you thrill me erotica remix on for the confessions tour uh, at that point that was when i sort of started downloading some of the demos and that was when i discovered you thrill me i really like that version too yeah i wish hopefully maybe in the future with some of these again to go off topic the the potential for reissues and re-releases that she goes into her archives and maybe sort of remasters some of these so we get better if you want to talk about that so um let's wait to the end and we'll talk about our our dream (laughs) set list for or our dream uh track listing for a re-release for this 
Um, I do want to talk quickly about the uh, the video itself because the video is basically eight millimeter footage of her filming the sex book, right? Uh, like and there's around. this one yeah. performance, one performance piece where she's wearing the mask and the gold tooth and um, gives Felicio to the puppet and. Uh, but the rest of it is really just the recording of the sex book being made, which I thought was great. And I did a lot of rewinding and pausing to get to the right moments in some sections because I'm like, is that a penis? Is that a penis? Is that, is that a guy's ass? But um, I I love this video. It That's when you talk about like, oh, it... it it kind of sparked this. Oh, I, I think I, I, I am gay and and things like that. Um, watching this video gives me those vibes, and looking at the sex book gives me those vibes too, because it's very like dark and it's very underground. So it feels like something you should be ashamed about, but you're not because you're really excited by it. And I feel like this this video for me was like, uh, I just wanted to watch it over and over. I love the video. It's one of my favorites too. I didn't get to see it until many years later because by that time it had long since been put in the vaults or whatever. Right. So I, the first time I ever saw it was like early two thousands on Yahoo, like on a dial up internet connection. So it was just so <laughs> the quality was just so bad. You could not make out anything at all. It was just like, that was my first. And then I caught like the last two minutes of it once on like a, a video program like a few years later it wasn't until i had um i bought a, a bootleg dvd of a fan had created on one of the websites of all of her videos so i sort of sat down and i watched erotica and it was sort of everything i had hoped it would be everything that you described right it's just, <laughs> i knew from all of the reading that i had done that it was basically just a behind the scenes of the sex book but it's like my i really wanted to see the the data portion the where she's the, the connecting pieces where she's sort of do, doing her narrator bit because i'd seen pictures of her in that costume yep and i was just obsessed with it with the mask with the gold tooth that kind of gives her sort of a a grinning jack-o-lantern kind of look it was described <laughs> somewhere and it's just like that slick back side part hair. I used to, when I had longer hair, I used to try and actually do that hairstyle too. Sort of slick, like extreme side part, slicked across the fo- the forehead side. Awesome. Because it was just like, I just thought that that was the ultimate. Like she had, again, goes back to the, the power issue, right? She has, she's in control. She's got the power. You have no choice but to sit there and, and pay attention to her and then, and then take it. So that's was my sort of what i wanted to see in that video yeah and then there's also that um the section i love i've always loved hair extensions i just i think that when a person puts on hair extensions i think automatically they just are super glamorous so that where she's (laughs) in the water with her hair half pulled back with the long cascades or the the section with uh, naomi campbell and big daddy kane in the video that's yes the erotic erotic. the the cover of the album too yes the cover of the album is that section where she's laying back on the beach naked and it's just a close-up of her face and they just turned up the contrast and and just changed the color to blue um i was i don't think i originally ever was like a huge fan of the album cover um 
because, well, <laughs> maybe this was intentional, but to me, it just looks like she's having an orgasm. And <laughs> I just felt like it, for me, it was more of like, well, I don't want my mom to think that uh, because then she's not going to let me have it. Uh, so that was like my concern over the album cover. So I was always just like scared of the album cover just because of that, that one, that sole purpose right there was just for that reason. And it's weird because she had already done that with some album covers, right? So True Blue, her eyes are closed. On Erotica, her eyes are closed. And Like a Prayer, it's kind of like this abstract close-up of one portion of her body. And Erotica, it's just like an abstract, well, not really abstract, it's her face, but you don't see any definition around her face. You just see her eyes, nose, and mouth. Yeah. Yeah, very sort of obscure the identity, yeah. sort of like extreme, extreme ecstasy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's jump into the next track, which is Fever, which was the, that was the fourth single from the album. Um, it was a double A side to Bad Girl, except, it, except in some regions, it was its own single. And this originally was Goodbye to Innocence, but Madonna was just like playing around in the studio doing a version of Fever. And Shep Pettibone thought that was brilliant and said, let's just do Fever. I believe Madonna just called up Seymour Stein because no one knew the lyrics, the actual lyrics. So they're like, hey, get me the lyrics and get me a recording of this song, like pronto. And within an hour, they had everything they needed and they recorded it right then and there. Yeah, it's a... I like the, it took me a long time to appreciate Fever. The album version is long and I <laughs> always preferred the, the the edit version that they use in the video because it yes. definitely sort of upped the dance sort of portion of it. So when I was younger, I, I liked the dancier version, but as time has gone by and I've listened to the record, I just, I think I can appreciate the song and the lyrics and her sort of delivery of the, the, the song. So yeah, I like it. it's, it's my definitive version. I've listened to like Elvis's version and of course, Peggy Lee's version and uh, the original little Willie John's version. I just downloaded, but I, Madonna, I mean, Madonna is the Beyonce be for me. Oh God. I, I mean, it's more along the lines of what Peggy Lee did, but <laughs> I'm not really a jazz fan, honestly, sort of. So that's not really my wheelhouse. That's why I like the sort of the housey, the beats of the fever. And it's, I think the, the, the 12 inch version that Chet Pettibone did is a little bit sort of has the more of the dancier elements without going too far into like that, the, what they did in the single version. So I like yeah. that version. A little well, bit I like more. when I'm listening to the album, I'll listen to the album version. Um, but if I'm, if I'm doing like a playlist or, uh, well, I, the streaming services does not have the edit one version, which is the video version. It's that's a track. That version is only found on a rain single from England, I believe, or a German rain single where, uh, it's a four minute and three seconds, but that's the video version. And that's the one that. Um, has you can hear Nikki Harrison the background going, You give me fever, like that's love the, that, love that. <laughs> uh, and then that's the one she did on the Girly Show, and that's the one that, like, if if I just need to hear that song, I'm gonna have to pull out the CD and listen to it. 
yeah that's that's the one for me too it's just is everything <laughs> and the video is just so weird the video is stefan Sedan sedano or steven sedan we i think he's french thank you i believe thank you thank you for correcting me but yes it looks very cheap but at the same time you know if madonna's doing it she's not going to do a cheap video at least not in the 90s and her hair apparently had been overprocessed, and she, I guess, like tried to dye it pink, tried to dye it blonde. And during this time period where she performed on um, Arsenio around that time, and she did this, and I think she was on something else, her hair to me just looked horrible. I just remember, oh God. God. I, Oh my gosh, she's got like these baby doll bangs, but she has this sort of page boy haircut and <laughs> her hair was like hot pink and it just looked, I felt bad for her. It's Considering not the she best. was Madonna, uh, yeah. you know, um, in the video, her hair just looks really bad, but she also looks great at the same time. It's just so weird oh. to think, I don't think she could do any wrong regardless, but um yeah, Madonna. Well, I love the, the the section where she's painted silver, kind of like the yeah. Greek, a Greek goddess with all of mm-hmm. the hair sort of slicked forward, kind of like a crown. That's my favorite section of that video, sort of where she's laying sort of half on her side, sort of writhing. That's And then she's wearing that sort of the mesh costume. That's I think that that's very sexy. It's like the video is weird, but that section is my favorite. The, the section where she's wearing the, the bodysuit with the flowers, because you can actually see when she raises her arm, you can see how it's, it doesn't look like it's an expensive costume. Right. <laughs> that's that's not my favorite. But. Like they went to Spirit Halloween. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, but if you go to, uh, there's a Madonna Instagram account. I think it's called Madonna Outfits or something like that. I think they posted that outfit, like the runway show, and then Madonna when she wore it um, in the video. But that's actually my favorite scene in the video is when she raises her arms mm-hmm. wearing that dress. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Totally green screen background. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, she, she ends up performing the song... A few times she does it on saturday night live she then performs it on um which she does like the album version and who and i don't know who those background singers were but they were not nikki nor donna and i then, liked them though you know i thought no, that they, they did a they good job for what they could sort of like she hired them absolutely one half. but i was like they where's like, i was where's like nikki where's and nikki and donna like that's that's her <laughs> That's a background singer, so that makes me concerned when the tour is going to come out. Is Nikki or Nikki and not Donna not going to be there? Like that's what that's my fear when I saw that on Saturday Night Live. Um, she performed it on Arsenio, where she did like a traditional jazz version, and then um, she performed it on the Girly Show, and I think that's it. That's the only time she's really performed it. Um, um, she revived it on the Re- the Rebel Heart tour, didn't she? I thought she did. She? did. I think she did like a couple bars of it in that sort of the 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 B stage section. Oh, uh, you're right. But I don't consider that a performance. 
No, it's not, it was never <laughs> after 93. It was just sort of one of those things that she retired, but no. I really love fine. the Saturday Night Live version, which is more faithful to the album version. Right. Sort of. She looks like she's having a good time. She did a little bit mess up the lyrics, but I mean, I think she did mess up the lyrics a lot of the times when she performed that song. But she I mean, did. she did because she, she was Saturday Night Live. I guess she was trying to do something where she was. Um, gonna take the mic off the stand and go around, but she like missed it, so she missed like part of the lyrics. So, um, she missed the Captain Smith, yeah. And <laughs> so she just started with Pocahontas, Pocahontas had a matter yeah. fair. and then with Arsenio, she did the same, it was during the same part, but it was like the jazzy part. And I guess, uh, the saxophonist was having a solo and she started <laughs> singing over him. She goes, Oh, I'm sorry, baby. We all make mistakes, don't we? Maybe that's why she doesn't perform it anymore yeah. in single performance. But the the girly show to me that's that's my favorite performance. I love I love that performance. Yeah, with the the two boys and the, the striptease and mm-hmm. just yeah. the fact that it's the edit one version. There's the in the Japanese concert tour she added ad libbed a couple like in the in the intro when um, you give me fever. Yeah. I love that when I first heard that I'm like oh wow it's like throwback and then. She throws an oh baby in there when she's doing yes. Captain Smith and Pocahontas had it. Yeah, so I thought that it shows that she could sort of because for for me a lot of the times her performances are very like this is how I'm gonna do it. We're not gonna stray from the how we rehearse it, and it's always gonna be like this every performance. But then when she threw those in, it's like oh she can be off the cuff and on the fly every so right. often. So <laughs> uh, well, let's dive into Bye Bye Baby. What are your thoughts on that song? I like it too. I mean, the I've gone through periods where I don't listen to it as often and periods where I do listen to it. I like it as sort of like a, a screw you, you had your chance where I'm moving on from you. I wish that she hadn't censored at the end the you, you fucked it up. I wish that she'd kept that sort of, because I mean, she put the parental advisor on the record anyway. Why don't you go all the way? But Oh, so yeah, we're going to go off track and talk about that for a second because I was going to wait till we talked about did you do it? And until we got that but did you do it is the only reason why erotica has a parental advisory sticker on it um, yeah. when i got the original cassette it did not have did you do it on it and there was two cd versions there was one with and one without parental advisory and i remember thinking hey if i get the parental advisory one i'll get her saying you fucked it up without the bleep and not only that i thought that in erotica where she says, um, I'll give you love. I'll teach you how to. Oh. And then she goes, oh. Um, <laughs> I thought that we were going to hear the word fuck if I got the parental advisory version. I got the parental advisory version. And does she say fuck? No. <laughs> no. So I'm mad. Yeah, I, the I, same. Don't hate, I don't hate Bye 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 Baby. That's actually one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, I love kind of like that telephone effect. That she has on her voice i loved the way it sounded it had very haunting feeling to it especially during the bridge like i really like that you're so beautiful what makes you feel excited what wakes you up inside <laughs> yeah i, I, like, the, I like that i love yeah i like how she the spoken verses that she has on a lot of the songs on this record but yeah i like the high pitch of her voice that she does in that so i think it's like it's kind of cutesy almost yep. in the, the the vein of I'm going bananas or cry baby even. Nikki so Finn. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like like she's had enough of Loudon and it's like screw you. I'm, I'm leaving and, and going taking Murray with me and going home. <laughs> but she went to LA where her accent wasn't as horrible fake New York accent. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she performed this on the Video Music Awards in 1993, which I was don't that know what I feel about that. Was that a performance that she did specifically for the VMAs, or did they tape that from a girly show show? No, I've always was, sort of confused. It was at the Video Music Awards. So it was in LA, it was on the VMA stage, and it was before the tour had come out. So I think... Oh. I guess she knew she was going to perform. She just didn't know exactly what she was going to perform and how it was going to look. But I'm guessing like, hey, we're already doing this tour. I already have this performance. Let me just perform it for people. I don't know if it was the right song choice for the VMAs, um, only because it wasn't released as a single. I would have thought she probably could have done Rain, like that would have been an amazing performance, particularly with how it was done on the girly show, but maybe she didn't want to like give away too much of what was being done on the tour. Plus in 1993, I don't think people were really singing ballads on the VMAs at that point in time. No, I think the VMAs, especially that time was all about Aerosmith. If I can remember (laughs) Nirvana was just coming out at that time. So Music but Janet Jackson changing. performed That's the Way Love Goes and If during that same award show. That's right, yeah. So I was just, I, I loved it because I got to see something different from her. But at the same time, I was like, is there another song that could have gotten chosen from Erotica to be performed? I don't know. But that's, that's the performance that we're given. I think compared to the actual live version of the song, and that's probably what I'm doing, I'm probably comparing it to this kind of stage and it just seems low, it seems low energy on the VMA stage versus when you see the, the concert footage on the DVD or live performance, she has, it seems like she has more energy when she's performing it on tour than in this performance. I think too, maybe her a lot of her live performances on award shows, she's not performing to her fans. She's performing to like the industry or to, to other yeah. people's fans. So she maybe is more nervous. Like when she's on her because I can agree, I agree. When she's doing her own tours, like she she can she her humor comes out, she's a little bit more free. Like the girly show performance that they taped for the video, uh the 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 release was a lot more playful and they do the whole the, the fucking sheila's thing at the very end of it where it's yeah one, yeah it's like maybe it's like the people don't really understand her shtick so she's just kind of a little bit more nervous about it right yeah and maybe the bosses mtv mtv were like you can't do this you can't be too raunchy so this is this is hot on the heels of all the controversy from uh, right 92 right so it's like people are already are bashing on madonna she's not She's not uh, not like she was in 1990. Yeah. She was at the top of the game. She's sort of, what is she going to do now? So, And I do Maybe remember, that's... even after she performed, you didn't see her again for the rest of the award show. You know, like sometimes they cut to the audience. I don't, I think as soon as she performed, she left. 
That like, makes sense. Because yeah. I don't think she was nominated for any awards or, or she wasn't nominated for any awards that were going to be televised. I think she got some technical awards for Rain, which I believe got best art direction and best cinematography. Um, but I think that's all that she may have been nominated for at the time. Yeah. Sort of I don't relegated to... <laughs> yeah. I don't either. Technical awards. Um, but let's go into one of my favorite songs on the record and one of the more dancier house tracks, which is Deeper and Deeper. I love that song. From beginning to end, from the opening line to the last note, it's it's like to me this was um I don't I don't know if it's fair to say a sequel to Vogue, but I feel like if any song could live up to Vogue, it would be this one. Well, she quotes Vogue at the very end. So, yeah. I mean, if there's a more worthy air of the Vogue song, Deeper and Deeper is it. Do you think that this is, that it's pulled from the Vogue track, or do you think she re-recorded it? I've listened to the acapella, and I think that she re-sang it. I think it was, I feel like I've, I don't know, maybe my imagination, she's in the recording booth and she's, she's so in the mood and the song is, is like, she's feeling the soul of the song and she's, she, she just pulls that out. I mean, that's my fantasy of that. I don't know if that, um, they got the, if they just sampled the outro vocal, but I think that it, I like to think that it she yeah. recorded that. I could never tell. I guess it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's one of my favorite songs she's only she's performed it three times she performed it on girly show she performed it reinvention where she stripped it down and she performed it on the rebel heart tour do you have a favorite performance of this song probably the rebel heart tour just because i was actually there i got to see it i was at the very very tip of the b stage so i was right at that the action oh. and it, that version was very like musically it was very faithful to the original i could hear the 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 music of the original in the new instrumentation whereas nice. the the reinvention tour it, it changed it a little bit and i didn't see that one in person so maybe that's the difference but and i didn't i'm obviously I haven't seen the girly show i like that version <laughs> the 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 rebel heart tour is a little bit more faithful to the original version right. so that's why i like that one I yeah. think I would probably go with the girly show. Um, mainly the reinvention I loved. I loved hearing kind of like a different version of that song just because, you know, that's kind of what Madonna does when she does something live. She likes to change things up, make it a little bit different. And it's one of the, the few songs that were actually reinvented on the reinvention tour. So um, I appreciated that. But I'd probably go with the Girly Show. And do you know, from what I understand, Deeper and Deeper was supposed to be in the Confessions Tour. Uh, and I think that's, they replaced it with Erotica, You Thrill Me. Oh, that would have been cool because it would have fit with the whole, the disco theme that was right. going on with that album. So um, and maybe they just didn't want to be too literal around that portion of the show anyone can yeah. you know write me in and tell me i'm wrong but um from what i remember reading reports i believe that deeper and deeper was supposed to be in that section and they pulled it for erotica 
Either way, I'm I'm glad they did because I love erotica. Or maybe it was La Isla Bonita. And if it was La Isla Bonita, I'm actually upset that they didn't include it because in yeah. <laughs> I actually hate that version. But yeah, more on that in a, some episodes from now. Um, the video, the video for Deeper and Deeper, which was a departure in the sense of videos particularly a madonna video where she does not lip sync the song at all it's literally a narrative video i think that's powerful i think that it puts you into the story it doesn't take you out of it i think you're experiencing what she's experiencing as it happens sort of her coming to where she started seeing all of these people from her past sort of yeah like debbie mazar is in it um Seymour Stein is in it. Uh Udo Kier. Shishi LaRue. <laughs> LaRue. Uh I think Sophia Copeland Sophia is Coppola. in it. Yeah. Uh Coppola, sorry. Um to me it's a very weird video. I remember watching it as I think I was 14 at the time, watching it and and being like, what what's happening in this video? What's going on? <laughs> and and trying to make sense of the balloons, do they represent um a connection to madonna because every time they got popped she she knew and she started panicking and she tried to say i i think it's a, a video of learning to let go maybe that makes sense yeah. to let go of the past it's very weird but also at the same time during the early 90s that was a revival of the 70s so it was really perfect spokesperson that madonna was there to give us this 70s disco nightclub scene the whole scene where they do a seance and the whole banana and muscle guy i don't know what was going on but my eyes were glued and i love that scene i used the pause button again yeah (laughs) i love that they peel their bananas in sync i thought that was great (laughs) yeah it looks so glamorous with their their big eyelashes and their their bell bottoms i think and then the cutaway too with um the inserting the vogue shot as well right from yeah, yeah, vogue yeah. magazine where she was madonna clothed and it was she it was all those except 70s costumes i thought that was done really really well i really love the the guitar break of that section i know the, the little flamenco guitar yeah yeah or chef petty bones with lice la bonita in the middle of like harlem or whatever he would have he called <laughs> he he did not want that and if you no. listen to um his his i think it's like his 12 inch version is it his 12 inch version you where took it out you hear more of probably what the song would have sounded like yeah it might have been like his deep makeover mix or or one of one of those chef mixes yeah you, you get the 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 house piano I right think it's how, yeah a little bit more rather than the the flamenco guitar but i, Which I still section. love i love i love both versions of the song um but I will say the album version is for me the definitive version. Definitely, definitely love the song. When I I usually will play the full version and over the seven inch version. Sometimes I like a double chorus, and sometimes I don't <laughs> like a double chorus. But in this one, I think that the double chorus works, and it has to be there. So it was, yeah. it's murder on the seven inch version. Yeah. Well, also on the seven inch version, um, inside the Groove podcast talked about this where there's kind of like this, uh, I don't know what you would call it. It's just like this this striking of a synth chord as it goes into the bridge. 
it's not as noticeable on the album version but if you listen to the the like the single edit version that you it's louder it's kind of like what they did when they did um the like a prayer seven inch and the express yourself seven inch where it's kind of like the album version but you hear more elements up front i think yeah. that, that with this for deeper and deeper too i kind of never recognized but i also the reason why i don't like the seven inch version is because they like remove a chorus uh or yeah. it's just, you know like it's, it's shorter it's edited and i don't like that especially at the end where's where you hear nikki and donna going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. like hearing that I like hearing that over and over again. Yeah, you have to hear the whole the whole thing, the whole yeah. outro. That's that's the best part. <laughs> I love that part too. But then there's also a remix version where they take out Nikki and Donna's lyrics or vocals, and you just hear Madonna doing that too. And I like that as well because she goes low. Like when you when you have Donna and Nikki's vocals layered on top of her, you have my ear anyway i have the tendency to follow them go up but you can hear in this remix madonna i think it's the classic 12 inch i think is like is that one yeah it's like she, she goes deeper and deeper like you can hear her go low yeah. so i like that too i used to sort of rewind that part and listen to that over and over again as well so it gives it sort of a different feeling a different sound without don and nikki's layers layered vocals so let's go in a different direction let's go let's go down where life begins i i'll go ahead and give my thoughts first on this i think this is it's probably like the worst song but like the best song (laughs) it has really bad cheesy sexual innuendos throughout the entire thing so the song is about cunnilingus but just in case anyone was wondering um and there's just, I, I don't even know where to begin with some of the, the innuendos or some of the, the lines from the song, but Colonel Sanders says it best, finger Looking looking good. good. <laughs> uh, can you make a fire without using wood? What's the one? Glad you um, brought your raincoat. Glad you brought your raincoat, I think. And I'm just like, oh my God. This is almost like, you can, you can uh, picture a high school student sort of like how how many different sort of things can I get away with putting into, into this sort of this poem? Like nobody's gonna get it, but then everybody's gonna get it. Like, <laughs> well, it's like throw the metaphors at you. Um, uh, immaculate podcast. I, I'm referencing all of all the podcasts now, but um, immaculate podcast. That was kind of like Justin's take on it. Is this high school girl named Tina, and. <laughs> She is going through teenage angst and she's going to write these songs that are going to seem very intellectual, but just have these really bad innuendos and these really bad cliches. And this song fits that. But at the same time, I think the musical production of this song is pretty killer. I think the melody is great. I think the chorus, the melody of the chorus, maybe not the actual words of the chorus. Andre Betts definitely did a good job with yes. the songs that he did with her on this album. The music is really, really good. I'm not a fan of Where Life Begins either. I'll listen to it because it's in the album, but if I'm close to the button, I'll skip it. It's 
Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's definitely all the things that we talked about. Cheesy. I mean, when I'm in the mood, I'll often do like playlists with themes. So it works in a playlist where you talk about like oral sex and, and <laughs> masturbation. It kind of fits in there with, with Shebop and maybe that Britney Spears song, Touch of My Hand and Woohoo by Christina Aguilera. Sort of every girl has to have a song about a, gra- a guy going down on her and this is madonna's version of that or she started yeah. the trend because everybody else has done one after so <laughs> exactly um well i'd like to direct your attention to something that needs directing to about this song and actually throughout the whole album that i don't think maybe gets recognized enough is that there's a shit ton of piano on this album yes yes particularly with this song we'll talk about bad girl in a minute but I went back and I listened to the entire album and now I'm going to forget which song didn't have it, but every song has piano, even if it's just like a a couple keys being hit, like just for like a second or two in the middle of the song or towards the end of the song, every song has piano. I I never thought about that. Actually, I've sort of like listened to the words, I've listened to the beats, but yeah, it's like, you're right. When, I mean, I'm looking here at the credits, there's two different maybe for... maybe deeper and deeper might be one that doesn't have it and that might be the only one yeah there's uh, if you count keyboards as a piano i do i well that's the thing about this this is that's the only thing i don't like about this album is that you can tell it's it's it, it's funny that she says the reason why it has like a raw sound is because she didn't want it to sound overproduced but in a way it sounds like it was all created on a you know a casio keyboard because that's <laughs> it probably all they, was <laughs> they just used beats like it doesn't sound like real drum it doesn't sound like any real instruments i could be wrong um but the synthesizers or keyboards you know they they just hit the piano button on the synthesizer and then just play the piano which is fine but um you just hear the piano sound a lot. And there's a lot of like jazzy, like this song has like jazzy piano and you hear it again with Secret Garden. I just don't think piano gets recognized or we'll say keyboards for the sake of what's written in the credits. But yeah, I just don't think- Where Life Begins actually has a a piano player too. So they have a- Okay, cool. A a keyboard and a piano credit in that. So it's definitely- Then I'm not 100% wrong. Cool. And in Secret Garden. For me, it's more- um, overt in secret garden and i like that song yep. a lot better but yeah it definitely has the musicality of where life begins it, it's a pretty song musically but yeah lyrically it's very cheesy <laughs> yeah let's get into some more piano tracks which is bad girl um has a nice opening piano line when i first heard the song i loved it and actually this is a song that you know I felt like my mom or dad could hear and not think, n- not really think anything bad, but almost like Madonna, <laughs> Madonna's apology letter to my parents for being so yeah. sexual. <laughs> um, I, can d- I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like, you know, my, my mom, I have said this a lot, but like, I feel like my mom just hated her. I think my mom liked a few songs from Madonna, but she hated that I was like obsessed with her and all she could do is, you know, keep pointing the finger, you know, like when the sex book came out or when just find my love came out or, 
or anything like that and be like, see, why do you like this? What, what's going on with you? Why do you like this? Um, <laughs> and it's like, had little to do with me wanting to see naked females, um, which I have no problem wanting to see, but I, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, Madonna's brazen sex, sexuality and, and being able to sexualize herself, um, and still be able to, uh, provide some sort of narrative around some sort of creative piece of artwork to me defined why I liked her. But, um, I think for those same reasons, I think that it turned off a lot of sort of the general right. public. There was a lot of backlash against that. So I can see why people like your parents would be like, no, this is, you should, I don't want my son looking at this or listening to this person. So I'm fortunate that at that time I wasn't as into Madonna as I became. So it's like my mom and my dad didn't say anything. I mean, I remember yeah. when the sex book was coming out, my mom, cause my mom would watch entertainment tonight. So they always would have the fluff pieces about what was going on in the day. Oh yeah. So that was all the, background noise, but the sorry, sex party press wasn't allowed in. So, <laughs> um, so all you saw was outside and then you heard just word of mouth about what happened inside. I guess there was like, were they naked go-go dancers or something like that? Um, in there. And, you know, that was just it, you know, like your parents turn on entertainment tonight and then you just think all these horrible things that orgies are happening. (laughs) And of course it doesn't help where Madonna has a live orgy a simulated orgy <laughs> on stage with the Crowley show either. Exactly. So, um, but I just, it's, it's one of those things where you're watching it. And if one of your parents says something, it's, it's almost like, I feel like quoting Madonna from truth to dare and being like, dad, or like, mom, you just got, you got to go on this journey, you know? Um, <laughs> it's art. It's, it's art. It's a journey. Got nothing to do with <laughs> art. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved Bad Girl when I first heard it. And the video, again, another more narrative video. It wasn't, there was only like maybe one or two pieces of lines that you actually saw her lip sync. Uh, The rest of it was just them telling a story of what was happening to this woman directed by David Fincher. He did Um, her best videos. Oh, this symbolizes the kind of relationship that they had with the kind of videos that he would make for her. And I think this is the last one, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And he went on to make movies. Yeah. This for me, the video just, it is uh, proves that Madonna can act without opening her mouth. She just says it all with her facial expressions and the, the way that she moves in the video. It's just, I love that video so much. And I think it's criminal that that has sort of been forgotten by by people in the mainstream and the song was overlooked at that time. But I think it definitely sort of is a win for her in the acting column. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird because when I hear the song and I see the images for the video, so uh, apparently, you know, her name was what Louise, Louise Oriole. Yeah, I think that's on the door. The door. And she was a a CEO boss bitch, um, working at I don't know where she worked. I just imagine that's what Maverick Records looked like, you know, and that's what Madonna looked like when she walked into Maverick Records, just 
storming in, getting all her messages. <laughs> all of the assistants like trailing office. after her. Yes. They're like, listen to this, look at this, you do this. And she's like, nope, I'm going, going to my office and closing the door. <laughs> and tonight I'm going to get fucked. Um, <laughs> this also reminded me of the character she plays uh, in Body of Evidence, Rebecca Carlson, where I they looked similar. Of course, like the characters look similar. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Carlson wore a beret a lot. I liked the camera tricks that they used in there too. So like one time they did like a cityscape, but it turned into the furnace and oh, that the street yeah. that turns into the, the, the bar top where it gets wiped down. Like I like this kind of camera tricks. Apparently this video was kind of inspired by a couple movies, Wings of Desire and Looking for Mr. Goodbar, neither of which I've seen. But Yeah, um, neither have I. Oh, and you know... Tim Burton was originally supposed to direct this video. <laughs> Can you imagine a goth Madonna video? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, Fro- that's what Frozen is, right? <laughs> that's true, yeah. Never thought of that. <laughs> Even though Chris Cunningham doesn't like the word goth. Um, but yeah, I I love this video and it, it does. It reminds me of her character in Body of Evidence and also kind of similar to Sarah Jennings her character in Snake Eyes slash Dangerous Game. But I like think they her, might have been filmed concurrently because the yeah. look is almost exactly the same. Well, particularly the length of the hair. Whatever her character... I don't even know. What her, what is her character's name of her character? So in Dangerous Game, she played... Sarah an act- She was an actress, but then she also played the character in the movie that she was filming. And as far as I know or can remember, all I remember is the Sarah. Just Sarah name. Jennings. Yeah, I don't remember the second name. But yeah, it's a weird either. <laughs> but see, like I feel like they could have taken clips from Body of Evidence, Dangerous Game, and Bad Girl and made a, a trilogy of videos having to do with this bad girl drunk yeah. by six. The life of and then the downfall of. <laughs> And this fascination of her getting killed. So, well, that's like in 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 the sixties and the seventies, they used to do that with sort of the the horror character. She could never find redemption. She always had to be killed. Like it reminds me of that um, Elizabeth Taylor movie Butterfield Eight, where she's the prostitute, but she falls in love with a guy, but she can't have her happy ending. Hollywood wouldn't allow it because of the code, so she had to like die. And like in a lot of gay movies too, right? In the even into yeah. the nineties, the gay character had to die at the very end. They couldn't the get way a happy ending. Cleanse their soul by the social pressure of religion. Exactly. So, like this woman <laughs> who's like who's the boss at work and who who's the one seducing the men. Like, well, there's no ending for her other than for her to be alone and then to die. So that, that yeah. that's very. A very 90s way of thinking i think but yeah um well with this song that there's a few versions that were released there's the single version the album version and the extended version and i love the the dramatic intro of the extended version it's the one she did when she performed it in saturday night live um and you hear more of and, the piano in that version too yeah and especially I just, in the middle the middle section I have this mix that I made. Well, I, I went and like re-edited the track and I, I pulled the the intro and then I had more of the album version, but then I used the ending of the video because it goes, um, not happy. And then it like echoes it cuts and then you hear the, the cat hiss 
and um i don't know the banaka of the the, of the the killer (laughs) yes yes (laughs) and that part where madonna eats the cat food oh gosh that's so weird (laughs) owning owning cats and like being around cat food you don't stick your finger in it after but i mean maybe she was feeding it like people tuna right so you don't know well she had eaten you know she you know made sure she wasn't bloated or anything before she had her one night stand and then going home to shake her panties in the sink to (laughs) clean out the the man musk um (laughs) wash off for the next day yeah (laughs) yeah i used to recreate the the section where she's in the living room with the wine glass and the tears smoking the cigarette i used to that was when I would, when I was a smoker as a teenager, I'd light up my cigarette when the, the song was at that portion. And I'd do everything that she did. I'd, I'd, I'd lick the filter and I'd yes. take a long inhale of the cigarette and then make sure that the smoke would come out so I could inhale it through my nose. I love that. French inhale. Yeah. So that's like that. My, every time I had a cigarette in the evening, like that's, I'm doing it to bad girl. <laughs> Especially like licking the filter. I love that you said that because um, I would do that too. And I, cause I thought that like, that's how you smoke a cigarette. That's how you look sexy. It made it sexier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next song we get into is if you have the cassette, it was the last song on on side one of the cassette. But it's it's waiting. I remember when I first heard the song, I just felt like this was another sequel to Justify My Love, considering it was using one of the words that was used in the chorus for Justify My Love, which was waiting. What are your thoughts on it? I like it. I like it. She's got sort of a more detached sound in this particular one, which I think is a lot of the complaints that I've read other people having, but I like it that she sort of, it feels like she's putting herself sort of in or taking herself out of the situation that she was in sort of in retrospect that you, you were waiting for this person to give you this affection and hoping or like waiting for it to come to you and you realize that this person was never going to give you this affection it was never yours in the first place so it's sort of like a cautionary tale like uh if you have to do it like this if you have to give yourself like this give so much of yourself and not receive back it's not meant to be and that's actually probably my favorite line from the song well i know from experience that if you have to ask more than once or twice it wasn't yours in the first place like that's my favorite line of the song aside from the ending where she goes and the next time you want pussy just look in the mirror just look in the mirror baby and i can tell you (laughs) i never knew those were the words that she said until probably like 10 years after the album had come out because it sounds you know it's the the record already kind of has like this kind of like raw but almost like kind of muffled sound that lyric was not with along with the lyrics in the book um so it just i don't know how when it clicked i don't know when the light bulb came on for me but i could never i always tried to like what is she saying there i can't tell um and i knew it's something about pussy and that's all i knew one day it clicked for me and i'm like oh my god are you kidding me oh shit like it's um it it ties in with the book actually i know that you don't have the book but in one of madonna's last one in throughout the book one of the narrating sort of devices she uses are letters that 
Dita is writing to her lover, Johnny. And in the very last letter that she writes to him at the page where she's doing her hitchhiking scene, she's, that's the last line too. It says, next time you want pussy, just look in the mirror. She's gone from fishing, Dita. Because she discovers that her lover has been sort of playing around with another man. Oh. In that. Okay. Well, well, I do have the book. And maybe oh, you got the book. I, that's that maybe is when I realized it. Maybe I didn't catch that. Maybe I didn't catch it. I can tell you, I did not read the letters that were in the book. I only looked at the pictures, um, just because I was I was interested in seeing um, Madonna naked and nude men. So I never really read a lot of the the, the letters. I sure I did like once. But if I ever pull out the book, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm not reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought that was because I've studied the book back and forth and the lyrics. There you the go. Album. So it's just like, See? yeah, it's like one of those things. It, it goes with the, the sort of the spurned lover kind of, I'm leaving you. This is your F you goodbye. And so that that's how I thought that tied, that tied into the, to the song. <laughs> See, I knew there was a reason why I had you on the show. you knew what it is um and there's a remix of the song which was on the rain single uh, everlast with everlast before people knew who everlast was well i think they knew because he was like part of house of pain right i think yeah the group the only song i remember them was with that that jump around song that was really big at that time and then he had his whitey ford sings the blues album but that came out um years after erotica but um, I remember, I love the remix. I think it's, I actually like the remix more than I like the album version. It cleans up the song a lot. So it's sort of, yes. whereas the album version is a little bit on the long side again, this is one of those places where it's like, it could have been edited down. The, it sort of, the, the remix sort of gives it a more cohesive message. And I yes. like the rap verse as well. It's, it's very 90s, but I, I, I'm a child <laughs> of the 90s. I really like that that remix. So I, I'm glad that it exists. Yeah. Sorry, you guys are just going to have to keep on waiting <laughs> until next week to hear me and Peter finish discussing erotica. Until then. Mm-hmm.